Do not labor for the food that perishes. Labor Day has been a national holiday in America for 87 years. And the purpose of Labor Day is to honor the working people of our land. In 1956, a commemorative stamp was published. You can see it in the World Book where I saw it. And on this stamp, there's this huge man with muscles bulging out all over with a sledgehammer, a pick, an axe, and a hoe over his left shoulder with ropes hanging over these things. And seated at his side is his wife, a little child standing in the front with a book in her lap, and she's evidently teaching him to read. And then down in the right-hand corner is a block with the words of Carlyle carved into it, Labor is life. And I think the meaning of that is, is plain and true, Namely, without industrious labor, there will be no daily life. You won't be able to provide food and clothing and shelter and education for yourself or your family. But it's an amazing thing and a disconcerting thing to me how a true statement can become misleading and disastrous to generations if it's separated from other true statements and isolated all by itself. If, when you think of your life, you think mainly in terms of food, clothing, shelter, transportation, education, toys, recreational gear, then the statement, labor is life, will mean to you that you should expend your effort to procure these things for yourself and your family. But, even though it seems so natural to us to put in our 40 hours a week precisely to that end, Jesus comes along and says something so startling as, do not labor for the bread that perishes. And I don't think he means it's okay to labor for houses that perish and books that perish and clothes that perish, just food. That's obviously not the point. Anything that perishes, anything that wears out, anything that is of no eternal value, don't work for that. Don't labor for the bread that perishes. Don't labor for house. Don't labor to buy anything. Now, at this point in a message like this, we're in a very precarious position. Because you all feel in your heart that it's okay to labor, to get food, to eat. It's okay to labor to pay your mortgage payment. And yet you can hear Jesus saying very plainly here from verse 27 of John 6, Do not labor for the bread that perishes. Now, what we're in is an experience that I call a crisis of spiritual discovery. That's what moments like this are. You can discover two things in this very moment if you examine your heart honestly. One of the things you can discover is the measure of your submission to Jesus as Lord. There are two possible attitudes that can go through your mind right now. One would be an attitude of resistance and hardness. might be expressed in words like this. 
Well, I don't care what that means. I'm going to go ahead and keep working and making uh, money to buy food. It doesn't matter to me. Why don't you just move on to something else? The other attitude is more humble, docile, open to Jesus, suspicious of itself and its own infirmities and says something like this. Well, Lord, I never thought from your word that it might be wrong to work for food or or, or clothing. But there's nothing, nothing in all the world that I want more than just to obey whatever you say and do it, to do what pleases you in the way that pleases you. That's all I want. And I know, Lord, how prone I am to distort the scripture just to justify my own habits. And I know that I have a bent to sinning. And so, Lord, make me open and willing and help me to understand what this means and ready to obey it gladly. There is a world of difference, an infinite qualitative difference between those two responses to the preached word of Jesus. And you can discover this morning whether you are the one or the other. The first one is not of the Spirit, but of the flesh. And the second one is a gift of the Spirit and fragrant with the grace of humility and submissiveness to Jesus. But it's not naive. It is very thoughtfully and soberly ready to say anything, Jesus. Anything. Anything you say, I'll do. Any change that's necessary in my thinking, any affection of my heart that needs to be transformed, I'm ready. Do it. That's the way we have to come to the Word of God if we want to come and hear it. That's the first discovery you can make. The measure of your devotion to the Lordship of Christ. And if you discover that you are ready to go with Jesus wherever He leads, then you can make one other discovery this morning perhaps. Namely, the discovery of a new dimension of obedience in your labor. In your work. Now many of you have already made this discovery. You're seasoned saints. And you'll simply sit there and relish hearing it affirmed from the Word. Others of us need to discover it afresh, or maybe some for the first time this morning, a new dimension of obedience about our work. Therefore, Jesus says to us in Luke 8, Take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear, because to him who has, namely a good heart, will more be given, but... From him who does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Let's pray. Hearing God is so crucial. And there are so many hindrances in our own heart and in our own circumstance in life to hearing and being open to the truth. Grant, I pray, that every person in this room will hear you this morning. Not me, but you, with your powerful, transforming message. Labor not for the food which perishes. And I thank you very much for that end. In Jesus' name, amen. The main point of this text in verse 27 is the positive command, labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. 
And so before I return to that negative half of the command, do not labor for the bread that perishes, let me fill up, I think, from the context what the positive command is and then put the negative over against it. The day before, Jesus had multiplied five loaves into enough bread to fill 5,000 people. He steals away from the people, disappears. They look for him the next morning. They cross the sea and find him. Jesus points his finger at them and says, You're not seeking me because you saw a sign. You're seeking me because you got your bellies full. In other words, he's saying to them, You did not have the spiritual sensitivity to see that when I performed that material miracle, I was making a spiritual point. Namely, I was showing you that there is a spiritual hunger that you need to have satisfied, and I'm the satisfier. And the bread that you ate through your mouths was just a vehicle. Open your eyes. And so he says to them, don't labor for the bread that perishes. Labor for the bread that endures to eternal life. Now, they respond here with total misunderstanding. Okay, tell us, Jesus, what are the works we have to do to get bread that will keep us alive forever? Jesus has a lot of patience in this passage, I think, and says, no, there are not a lot of works you have to do. All those works that you're trying to imagine can be summed up in one work, which is no work, in verse 29. This is the work of God. Believe on Him whom He has sent. Come to Me. Trust Me. Feed on Me and you will have the bread that endures to eternal life. And then step by step through the rest of the chapter, He unfolds what that means. To feed on Him. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me will not hunger. He who believes on Me will never thirst. In other words, Jesus is the bread. That comes down from heaven. He is the bread that endures to eternal life. And coming to him and trusting him. Are the feeding on him. And his heavenly self. Then in verse 51 he gets more specific. The bread which I will give. For the life of the world. Is my flesh. Now that takes us a step farther in this sense. We do not merely come to Jesus as a a loving man and fellowship with Him and trust Him. We are reminded here that it was precisely in His giving His flesh in death that He became nourishment for our souls. Our souls are guilty. They are hungry for forgiveness. How shall they find the food of forgiveness? The flesh of Jesus laid down on the cross is our food. Then in verse 53, he goes so far as to say, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. A very gory statement, but pressing them to the limit to see if they will understand things at last spiritually and not merely physically. The point being that you can do this. You can eat my flesh and drink my blood at that very moment when... The love that my death signifies and the hope that my death procures is delighted in and is the nourishment for your heart. When that happens, you have eaten my flesh and you have drunk my blood. That's the main point now of verse 
27 in John 6. Labor, expend yourself to feed on the bread that endures to eternal life. Labor to feast on Jesus. Satisfy yourself with His beauty. But now I had a very wise teacher one time. And he said something which at the moment seems so mundane, but has borne very much fruit in all my reading of the Bible and of other books. We were talking about another book at the time. He said, always, if you want to understand precisely what a writer means, what he's thinking, always look for his not-but statements. That is, look for his statements where he says, this is not the case, this is the case. I don't think this, I think this. And the reason that's so crucial to look for is because you will understand what a person affirms much more fully and clearly if you know what he denies. Wishy-washy politicians and wishy-washy theologians are notorious for making broad, generalized affirmations and avoiding very cleverly specific negations. You never know quite what they're saying. For example, if you heard the English bishop J.A.T. Robinson say, the New Testament is trustworthy. He wrote a book. Is the New Testament trustworthy? And concludes, it is. He would say, great. But if you read the book and see what he denies, then you come away realizing, well, that affirmation surely said not what I would have meant by saying the New Testament is trustworthy. The point of all this then is that we can increase our understanding greatly if we don't just pick out the positive half of a statement and leave the negative to the side which means in verse 27 don't just take the main affirmation labor for the food that endures to eternal life look at the first half also which is what we want to do for the rest of our time the first half is very important the negative half do not labor for the food that perishes. What does that mean for our lives? I've already suggested that the food which perishes does not just mean food, but anything that perishes. It would be completely arbitrary to say it's okay to labor for clothes that perish, but not for food that perishes. It's anything material, anything that wears out, anything that is going to do you no good on your deathbed and no good on the judgment day. Don't labor for those things, he's saying. A good parallel would probably be Matthew 6, 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt. Anything material that the heart can Treasure, don't work for that. Don't labor for that. It will be of no use to you in the end. But now what does that mean? Because most of us are still feeling in our heart, well, you've got to. Nowhere does Jesus show any contempt for work in the Gospels. In fact, he says to his disciples, when he sends out the 70 in Luke 10, the laborer is worthy of his wage. And he intends for them to receive an appropriate remuneration for their labor and with that to support themselves and those in need around them. And St. Paul said, if he will not work, let him not eat. 
2 Thessalonians 3.10. Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, in order that he might have to give to him who is in need. Give what? Bread. The bread that perishes. Evidently, then, Jesus does not mean stop working for a livelihood, but rather means something like this. In your work, set your eyes on something other than the food that perishes. In your work, set your eyes on something other than the food that perishes. Probably the closest parallel would be his statement in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, the bread that perishes, will be added. Don't seek the bread that perishes. God will take care of the bread that perishes. The food that perishes. You seek the kingdom. You seek the bread that endures to eternal life. And God will take care of it. Do not expend the effort of your mind. And expend the effort of your will and your body. In order to satisfy your heart with things. I suppose the reason that I chose to speak on this this morning. Is because on my vacation... So many of the people I came in touch with only knew how to talk about things. It was rare to have a spiritual conversation. Just talking about what they bought, what they're planning to buy. What the raise they got, what raise they hope they'll get. It was all things, things, things just about suffocated in some situations. That is not the way I want us to be. Let us expend our effort with a view to Christ. With a view to seeing Christ exalted in all we do. With a view to satisfying our hearts on the fellowship of Jesus. Let's get rid of the longing for things and cultivate a longing for Jesus. Now let me try to finally apply this understanding to two areas of our lives. The religious dimension, our church life, And our vocational life. First our church life. Notice the connection between verses 26 and 27. You seek me because you ate your fill. Do not labor for the food that perishes. The people were seeking Jesus. They were seeking Jesus. They believed he could do miracles. And when they arrive and find him. He accuses them of seeking the bread that perishes, laboring for the food that perishes. And he said, don't do that. In other words, in this context, the most immediate meaning is seeking the bread that perishes is seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons. And the implication is that it is possible to seek Jesus and believe many right truths like his power to work miracles and be lost. And worldly mind. And for our situation, that would simply mean that it is possible to be a very religious person and to have many right doctrines and still not be born again. I think that's the clear implication of this and many texts. And what's missing from that church goer is that the spiritual feeding on Christ from his heart is not there. That 
hungry delight in all that he stands for is not there. And that lowly childlike submission to everything he demands is not there. And all of his attendants and all of his machinery of religion are for naught. It is possible to labor for the bread that perishes right here in Bethlehem. And Jesus calls us to examine ourselves lest we be found doing that. I'm really hungry for Bethlehem to be spiritually awake. To wake up this fall and experience new dimensions of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ. And you're going to read in this week's Star article, which we tried to get off early because of Labor Day, that I'm going to call us to some prayer and fasting this month to humble ourselves and to seek God and to find Him meeting us in new ways that we haven't experienced before. But finally, the second application to your vocation. How do you get up in the morning and go to work not for the bread that perishes? I think that's a spiritual discovery that comes through much prayer and longing. What I have to say by way of explanation won't make it happen. It's a gift of the Spirit, but maybe the Holy Spirit can use just a few words to kindle your desire, put you on your knees, and open you to God's gift. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7.30, those who buy... Now, he said this in view of the urgency of the hour. We ought to live as a people on the brink of time. And he says, those who buy and sell should buy as those who had no goods. And those who have dealings with the world, like we all do, should have those dealings as though they had no dealings with the world. In other words, that's just another way of saying, yes, labor... You must labor, but not for the food that perishes. Or, go ahead, purchase what you need to purchase, but purchase it as though you had no goods. Go ahead, go to work this morning, do your business dealings, but stay free. Stay free from those business dealings. Suppose that you are a Christian stockbroker and have watched the market for the past several weeks. What does it mean to labor for the bread, not to labor for the food that perishes? I think it means that with a plummeting stock market, it means that the Christian stockbroker's life is not jeopardized. His peace, his joy in God is firm. It is stable. He's not working for the bread that perishes anyway. His goal, rather, is to enjoy Finding Christ exalted and satisfying in the way he goes about his work. Jesus said in John 4.32, I have food to eat that you do not know. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. None of us should go to work and labor through the day for the bread that perishes. Rather, We should aim to do the will of God every moment of the day. Do what is holy and right. That too is a kind of feeding on Christ. So the Christian stockbroker 
will say in the face of a falling stock market, my main food that I want from this job is still there. It is not in any way affected by whether I make much or make little, whether I have many irate clients or not. My food is rather to do the will of God, to see Jesus Christ lifted up, to find my own heart resting in Him, to pass every test of faith that my work brings my way, and to watch my colleagues esteem the Lord because of my integrity and my demeanor. And at the end, he labors for that, not for the bread that perishes. He labors rising early in the morning that he might meet God in prayer and in meditation to fit himself to fight that battle and to eat that food. In conclusion, you've heard it many times. Jesus calls us to be a people who are exiles and aliens in the world. Not by taking us out of the institutions of the world, but by changing at the root the way we view the world and the way we do our work in those institutions in the world. And I know that I've barely skimmed the significance for your life of the statement Labor not for the food that perishes. And therefore, I commend to you for this very afternoon and for all week, and maybe Labor Day, an ideal day, for your own meditation. Study what it means. Labor not for the food that perishes.